There is no chain that remains when we call on the name of Jesus. We break the power of addiction. We break the power of perversion. We break the power of injustice. We break the power of corruption in Jesus' name. We take our rights and authority as children of the Most High God and call in alignment this earth to the kingdom of God. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name and we declare it and we believe it and we will live it out and occupy the land until you come and gathers, gather others in so that we may plunder hell and populate heaven so that the gates of hell will know that the church of Jesus Christ are here and they shall not prevail in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. You may be seated in the house of God. How many believe in life-changing prayers that change your world and the world you live in? That was one of those moments right there. There are life-changing prayers that change your world and the world you live in. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, and say, an anchor for the soul. Everybody say it with me, an anchor for the soul. Thank you for coming today. I'm honored to be here with you. I want to talk to you a few moments from Hebrews about an anchor for the soul. We're going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews in second service, John in first service. Please make sure you listen to both whenever you come to one or the other. What is the anchor for your soul? Many of you, is it Christ? If it is, say Jesus. Amen. We live in a world that's not sure. And they look at us as Christians and they say that we are believing in something archaic, that we are playing make-believe and that we are not rational. But today, my friends, I want to challenge their rationality. I want to challenge all anchors. I want to ch challenge all competing things with Jesus Christ. In other words, if they want to choose something else or anyone here, you want to choose something else, I want you to compare it to Jesus Christ. And you will see there is no comparison to my Jesus. Amen. There is nobody like Jesus Oftentimes people say, well, I trust in science, what science says. Where does science come from? It comes from minds, does it not? So scientists have to do science. Where did scientists come from? They didn't come from science, did they? Have you ever watched Sesame Street? Anybody remember that show? I don't know, some of you grew up with Barney. <laughs> Others of you, what, what was, what's the other ones? The little big tots? The... Teletubbies, yeah. Did you guys grow up with Teletubbies? Are we Teletubby generation here? And then what comes after Teletubbies? Like, what's, what are my kids on right now? What's that one guy with the, well, not TikTok, but my, he has a funny hat. He has Blippy. Blippy? That's the name, Blippy? Yeah, my kids watch this, right? So whether it was Sesame Street, uh, Barney, Teletubbies, or Blippy, whatever was teaching you stuff, right? Sometimes in Sesame Street, they had words that would talk. You know, you would learn about words. Words would come on Sesame Street. Are you in? Run would come in there. It'd be three letters running around, you know. That's what I do. I run around and I'm run. Is that what people think created them science, this thing called science? Like there's, there's these letters running around going, science, and that's your God. Meet your God, science. Is that what created us? No, so science comes from scientists. So where did scientists come from? And then they say, well, scientists came from the Big Bang. And I always ask, what? Who banged it? What banged it? Who banged it? So things out there just banging on themselves? Come on, somebody. 
I believe in the Big Bang. I just know who banged it. God said bang, it happened. But you all don't believe that. So I'm talking to this person. What do you believe? Oh, it just happened. Well, if that happened, as uh, Dr. William Lane Crade said, why doesn't everything just keep banging right now? Why don't we see unicorns get banged into existence? Why did the banging stop? Why, did, why do bangs only make universes? And where did the banger come from, that banging thing? Oh, it came from the multiverse. So there's multiverses out there. And then please, everyone, stop supporting superhero movies that go into multiverses. We just need to boycott these, okay? The moment they go into multiverses, we just entered nonsense land. Doctor Strange was cool until he went to the multiverse. Spider-Man was cool until he went to the multiverse. They need to go back to wearing tights, putting up pow as they punch each other, and leave that stuff alone. I would rather watch 1960s Batman, pow, being pow, than to watch someone go into the multiverse and meet the third version of themselves, okay? There's multiverses out there. Where did the multiverses come from? The multiverse maker. Okay, so big bangs happen in the multiverse, and it comes from the multiverse maker. Where did the multiverse maker come from? You understand how foolish this is. But people will put their anchor there, not understanding that they're anchoring on sand. I was uh, renting a boat in Pensacola, and I thought I was pretty cool, you know, just driving around on a boat. I offered to take my kids, and they didn't want to come. Think about this, y'all. Think about what my life is like as a father. I buy my own boat so I can have that time with my kids. My kids consider the boat torture, okay? They literally would cry every now and then to go on the boat. Tell me how to go on the boat. I sell the boat. They get excited, okay? They get excited when I sell a boat. We then go to a place, my, the, my favorite place in the world, Pensacola Beach. I rent a boat. Do you all want to come with me? No, we want to stay by the pool. That's it. All of my kids have 100% of Nancy in them when it comes to hobbies and pastime activities. Shop, go to the, my sister about ready, I mean, my daughter about ready to get sassy right here. Uh, she's like, don't you get to go there with me, Dad. Pray for pastor kids, amen, pray for PKs. So I'm, I'm on this journey by myself on a boat in Pensacola, and I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to figure it out. So I end up, you know, like parking the boat by the beach where I think it's cool. I beached the boat. I'm having some fun. And then I realized I didn't anchor the boat the right way. There goes the boat. Seriously, have you ever chased a boat before in the ocean? It's not as easy as you might think it sounds. It's actually pretty complicated. There's a lot of waves. I know you went on a boat with me, Vinny. You know what I'm talking about. Just imagine you and I chasing that boat, okay? So there goes the boat, me, me running after the boat. I'm holding on to the anchor. The, the waves are pushing the boat. I'm holding on to the thing. You can see people driving by looking at me going, what is this guy doing with a boat holding on to the anchor? So then finally, I figure it out how to do the thing. I did climb in. I get the whole thing set up. So then I am like, you stupid anchor, you are going down deep into the sand. I look like an idiot in front of all these because I'm like right in the channel. And I'm like, you're never doing that to me again. There was a problem, though. When the tide came in, it kept burying the anchor deeper and deeper and deeper until I couldn't get the anchor out. Seriously, now I had the other problem. This is boating with dad. This is boating with your pastor, okay? No joke. And you're thinking to yourself, no, just go down there and dig it out. No, I don't think we know how much sand comes when the tide comes in. It was about four feet down there. 
I don't know how that happened. I, I, like I said, I was by a channel. Maybe I put it in the wrong spot. I don't know, but it was deep enough to where my hands were going down that I wasn't getting it very well. So then I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drive the boat and get it to pull the anchor up. That's what I'm going to do. And these people, if they're watching, they'll probably never rent me a boat again, okay? So I'm like, vroom, vroom, trying to get the thing to let go, okay? It won't let go. I'm thinking to myself, now i got to dig down here and figure this thing out with my hands while the water is coming and pushing over it. Because I was out there for a few hours. The tide changed. I'm basically now in ankle-deep water. The anchor's way down there. I'm pushing out dirt. And how many know when you do that, it just sucks it right back in? I'm like, I am an idiot. Why do I not know how to put an anchor down the right way? So I'm trying to do this. I can't get it. So then eventually I'm going, vroom, vroom, vroom. I'm doing like how people get stuck in snow with the boat. I'm going forward. I'm going backwards. I'm going forward. And God, as my witness, I beach the boat. I ramped the boat up onto the beach. I'm like, dear God, I suck at vacations. I'm, I'm seriously, I'm having the worst time. I'm having the worst. This is honest to God truth. I chase down the boat. I get the boat in. I anchor the boat. The tide changes. The anchor will not let go. I can't get that thing out. Trying to get the thing out with the boat. I beach the boat. Now I'm thinking to myself, how much longer do I got to wait for the tide to go up another two feet? I'm like, will it even go up another two feet? I have no idea what I'm doing. And then you know what I do? Those people who are laughing at me and looking at me, I wave them down. I say, I need some help. Praise God for help. Somebody say, you need some help sometimes. And it, of course, it's in the south. It's in Florida. What's going on there, boy? I'm like, you can pretty much see I don't know what I'm doing. And they're like, we'll help you out. So they figured out a way to dig out the anchor, you know, two or three of them, you know, because I'm boating by myself, you know, so they're all like, you know, dig, digging the thing out, and then we'll pull you out, buddy, and then they pull us out and all of that, and, you know, pull me out, and then I'm like, oh, man, thank you so much. I give them 20 bucks, man. You better get your anchor right. Are you listening to me? You better get your anchor right. Because if you don't have the right anchor for your soul, you're going to mess your life up. And if you don't anchor it the right way, you're going to find yourself in a lot of problems. And if you think it's not that complicated, it, you know, look at my story at a boat on a boat and all the problems that I faced. The devil will put so much confusion in you as it comes to the anchor of your soul that you will find yourself having the kind of experience I had unless you put it in Jesus. Amen? Let's go verse by verse here and let's get to the message. Anchor for the soul. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So God makes a promise to Abraham, and he says, I swear I'm going to do this. But he doesn't swear to God because he is God. And the Bible warns us not to do those kinds of swears anymore as they did in the Old Testament. He swears by himself, I will do this. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Isaac came, and then through Isaac, Jacob, the tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel, and Christ, who is the true Jew, came through that nation, and now we are are engrafted into them, how many have come into the nation of Israel through Jesus Christ? Amen. 
people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oaths confirm what is said and puts an end to all argument. So this idea like swear on something and then I'll believe you, that was even back then. This has always been in human history. Swear on your mom. Swear on somebody greater than you. Swear on something you care about. Swear on your, your, your baby's life. Swear on God. Swear on the Bible. We do this in court. And then that should put an end to an argument that you're going to tell the truth. That's what the writer is saying here. So when God did it, you should know it's true because he swore by himself. Because, verse 17, God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. So God promised to Abraham what he would do. Verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things, that's, uh, keep, uh, go back to verse 17, that's the unchanging nature of his purpose, and then that it's impossible for God to lie. He did this so that by two unchanging things, which is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. How many people have fled from your life to hold on to Jesus' life? How many of you have fled from your ways to hold on to Jesus' ways? That's what we're doing, amen? And you should be encouraged by that. Verse 19, highlight this, please. We have this hope as an anchor for the what? For the soul. Somebody say anchor for the soul. Thank you. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. What is our anchor? In God's promises, in his unchanging purpose. God makes promises according to his purpose, and he does not break his word. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. So we have a hope. It's an it. And the, uh, the anchor, our hope is in the anchor as an it, and this anchor reaches in, think about this, to the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Imagine that, taking the anchor of your soul and placing it into God's presence. Who brings our anchor into God's presence? Jesus Christ. Is the answer is Jesus. Most of the time you're in church, if you don't know the answer, just say Jesus, okay? At least the professor will be kind and say, yeah, we love Jesus. Good try, but let's go on. Okay, so who takes our anchor and brings it into the veil of God's, or beyond the veil of God's presence? Who anchors it there? Jesus, it enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, the one who goes ahead of us, Jesus, has entered on our behalf, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Do you need Father Tom to be a priest to you at St. Anthony's First Catholic Church? No. You have one priest, and his name is Jesus. He's in the priesthood of Melchizedek, not in the priesthood of popes and bishops. There is one priesthood. It is the priesthood of Melchizedek. What happened to Aaron's priesthood, the ones that the Jewish people looked to? It has now been fulfilled in Christ, and Christ is a greater one than Aaron. How is he greater than Aaron? According to Hebrews, as we will learn more about next week, by his grace, he is greater than Aaron because when Abraham gave tithes to King Melchizedek, the king of righteousness in Genesis, Aaron was not even yet born in the loins of Abraham. So who is greater according to the Bible? Melchizedek is greater than Aaron, Aaron uh, Moses' brother, because in the loins of Abraham, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. 
And we'll talk about why the tithe still remains in the Christian church, though much of the Old Testament law has been fulfilled as we move forward. It is because the tithe was once collected by the priest of Aaron. Now it's collected by the priest in the Melchizedek order. That's in the chapters going ahead. Jesus Christ is our priest forever. We do not need the priesthood of the Mormon church. We do not need the priesthood of the Catholic church. The priesthood of Christ has now made all believers priests and a nation of priests. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, please. And notice that you are now in that nation of Melchizedek priests. Can I hear an amen if you believe it? 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, here is a place for Peter to say he's the rock that the church should be built upon. That's what Catholics assume Peter is. On this rock, I will build my church, but it is in a different gender in the feminine. While he was called Petros, the rock is Petra. And here, if he was a certain kind of a rock that had preeminence over all of the church, here in his first epistle, he should identify himself as such. Should he not? Shouldn't he identify himself as the rock? But look at what it says. He identifies it as the living stone, singular. There's only one that is deserving of the foundation of the church, not a pope named Peter, but a disciple named Peter who in chapter 5 says, I with the fellow elders want you to do X, Y, and Z. He considers himself an elder with the other elders, rejected by human hands but chosen by God, talking about Jesus, and precious to him, you like living what? You like living stones, plural, come to the living stone. Now, shouldn't he say in between there, is me the rock, Peter? No, he puts him in himself in the same category as everybody else. Rejected by human hands, chosen by God, precious to him. You also, like living stones, little stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We are the temple of God to be a holy what? Holy, come on, holy what? Priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. I thank God today for the priesthood of the believer established in Christ through the Melchizedek priesthood. We are now priests as believers in a Melchizedek priesthood order. We are not priests in the sense of Aaron as an ecclesiastical order. That priesthood has been fulfilled. When I ask Roman Catholics, where do you see this in the New Testament? Show me a priest. Show me a pope. Show me all that you do. They say, we don't need to. We can prove it through church tradition. And then I say to them, to hell with your church tradition. I would rather ride in a live church, uh, ride in a live horse than a dead horse. You're on a dead horse. Even that which was commanded in the Bible as tradition has been fulfilled in Christ. And one bit of it coming in the New Testament called circumcision was forbidden as an act of righteousness by Paul in Galatians to the point where he said, if you want to be circumcised for righteousness sake, it's better you emasculate yourselves because you're going to hell anyway with the false gospel you're anathemized. If God, through Paul, was that serious about giving anathemas to portions of tradition in the Old Testament that were once affirmed as righteousness, what do you think God thinks now of man-made tradition that is not found in Holy Scripture being put upon the consciences of people? Say amen in a Protestant church. Come on, we are protesting any priesthood that puts upon the consciousness of men and women things that are not found in Scripture. For with these very traditions, they nullify the word of God. We do not pray to saints. We pray to the one who makes us saints, Jesus Christ. We do not offer up our offerings as if we are earning some type of penance. We come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
I don't need an idol or a statue. I need the Spirit of God to fill me as the temple of God so I can do the work of God. Saints are not just in heaven. They're upon earth. And here we are today as a congregation, the saints in Chicago. Amen. The book of Hebrews, please go back to the note, reminds us that we have entered into Christ with him as a forerunner into the presence of the Lord. Why else would you need another mediator? You don't need Mary. You need Jesus. You don't need anyone else on your behalf for intercession. All you need is Jesus. Does it say Mary entered into that presence for you to bring the anchor of your soul to safety? Does it say that any religious figure has done such a thing? Jesus entered in on our behalf. Now today, the anchor of my soul is there. There's my anchor. Joe, where is your anchor? With Christ in the presence of God before the throne of the Father. Where is the anchor of our generation today? Sometimes people say, well, you know, because they just had a changing of the guard when the queen passed away. Now that now England has a king and, uh, you know, Americans, you know, we're, we're happy that we fought the revolution and won. I always like to remind people of that during July 4th. England, you lost. We, we're winners. Amen. How many are glad you're not English today? And no one else could stop them, but we stopped them in Jesus' name. Amen. India couldn't stop them. Thailand or whatever. Taiwan couldn't stop. They were taking all over types of place. Amen. Not here, boys. Not here. Okay. Y'all remember some of that. Okay. This is history. But hold on for a minute. One guy said, well, we don't have kings and queens like that, but we have sports and entertainment, and we bow down before them. Those are the kings and queens of American culture. What so-and-so sports star said or did. I heard that the uh, Super Bowl already happened. or not, Did it already happen or is it going to happen? It's going to happen. Okay, so I, I don't even know. But listen, it's okay if you're into sports. I'm not here to put that down or into entertainment. I have Netflix. Okay, but listen, everybody. We don't follow them. We don't follow guys who wear tights and throw rubber balls around. I don't follow people who can sing songs. Do you, you listen to me? I said, are you listening to me? We don't follow them because they're gifted and talented. They're not our anchors. Other people say that the anchors are the found in the educational institutions. Who knows anything about Germany before World War I or II? Raise your hand. It was the epicenter of culture. The epicenter of culture was in Germany. The epicenter of technology was in Germany. Study Germany and how advanced they were. As a matter of fact, if some of those people, like the creator of the nuclear bomb, wouldn't have came to our side, Germany might have had those weapons for themselves. Germany was the height in the height of scholarship, including Christian scholarship. Germany was at the heart of the Protestant Reformation, helping define Christian freedoms. What happened to Germany? Germany switched its anchor. It switched its anchor from the Bible and the things of God to fanaticism. And within years, and you could study this out in sociology classes, within years, neighbors became rats and were able to be killed. How quickly have tides turned even here in America? We once used to regard the birth of children as a blessing and the pregnancy of children as blessing. Now it's looked at as a curse and over 50 million have died, but not around here. The Wyrostics are expecting number seven. Can you be in prayer for our family? Be in prayer as my baby mama carries numero siete. Hallelujah, bambino. Yeah, the world used to think that having big families was a blessing. Now it's a curse. They would rather have more dogs than cats. 
I grew up, the cat lady was weird. Now the cat lady has a podcast. I don't care what they think. You understand what I'm saying? They're all, listen to me. The Bible says, let God be true and let everyone be a liar. They want to pretend that they're diverse and inclusive. They're not. I just put up on my Facebook page one of the most dangerous one-liners you can ever hear in our culture, and it was put on an inclusive LGBT church. I wasn't hunting for them on purpose. I put in a name, Lighthouse, and I accidentally went to them. I was looking for another Lighthouse church in Chicago. Here is the dangerous phrase that that church put up on their main website. A place where you can be your true self. I know some pedophiles that are looking for a place like that. I know some criminals that are looking to be them true, their true selves with that offering. I know a few ISIS members or heard of them that would love to take that over and make it a mosque right now. That's their true self. Be careful what you anchor yourself to, my brothers and sisters. There's people who went to church today believing that the LGBT community can express themselves in homosexuality and transgenderism and consider themselves Christians. You can no more be an LGBTQ Christian than you can be a lying Christian, an adulterating Christian, a pornography Christian. And that goes for everyone in this church as well. Are you listening? Our culture wants to make an anchor to fit their own preconceived ideas. We are no longer following the God who made us in his image. We are now worshiping a God made in our own image. If you want to see the prophets that people listen to, it's the reflection of themselves in the mirror. Do you want to see the scriptures that people follow today? It is the thoughts and imaginations of their own wicked, vain, deceitful heart. Well, what makes you better, Pastor? I'm not, aside from Christ. Christ is the anchor of my soul. I've heard people say they can do Christ and do these other things. They're liars. The Bible says these people would come and lie to you, and they would deceive you. Brothers and sisters, do not, do not be deceived in these latter, latter days about what Christ expects from you and what Christ wants from you. Christ has called you to serve him and to place him above everything else. Go with me to Matthew chapter, five, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 24, because Jesus' words are the very foundation that we can anchor our lives into. And as he sees us do that, he brings us into the presence of the Father. How many believe the Father is good to you? How many believe he sent his son because he loved you? How many believe the Holy Spirit wants to birth in you the fruit of the Spirit? How many believe that's a good life? Then why are there so many rebellious people today? Are they not as smart as you? No, it's because the flesh is wicked. The heart is deceitful. People fall for deception. Most in hell today only realize what the truth was of their lifestyle when they hit there. The rich man and the beggar, the Bible tells the story. Jesus tells us the story about the rich man and him going to hell, and yet the beggar going to heaven, or in this uh, illustration, paradise. And the rich man seems to be surprised to be there. He doesn't quite understand how this could be possibly happening to him. And then he tries to negotiate to be able to come out of his torment to then talk to his family to spare uh, them that torment because he knows they're deceived as well. And Abraham in this story says to, says to him, if they will not listen to the prophets, they will not listen to one who has raised from the dead. Even if you come from the dead and speak to them, they will not listen to you. And how many know Jesus Christ raised from the dead and they still don't listen to him? And yet they'll make believe stories about reincarnation. They'll anchor themselves to second and third chances as if they're playing a video game and they can start over. These are all deceptions, my friends. Jesus was very clear when he spoke to us. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the what? 
on the rock. You see, when Vinny and I, when we go out fishing in the time that he was with me and we rented a boat, a boat, it was real easy for me to do the anchor. I put my anchor to something that was attached to a rock. It, were, it was a pillar and a foundation built out in the part of the ocean where they do uh, drilling or they do ex- experiments. I think they were doing some, uh, some work out there. And so they drill all the way down until they can hit bedrock. Even ocean has bedrock at the bottom. How many understand that? That's how they make these oil rigs and so forth. A lot of them will go down into the bedrock and be stabilized. See, I could attach to the rock and have no problem. That's easy. Attach it right to the dock of that pole going down into a rock. And see, people, they want another option than that. They want to try to figure it out another way. But it's the simplest way, according to the Scripture, that's the best way. You don't need to reevaluate this. You can be honest and go through it with your doubts or your concerns, but you do not need to look for something that is better. This is it. One time somebody mockingly said to me, well, isn't that nice? You were born in a Christian country to a Christian family, and you just happen to be Christian now. You're just so lucky, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. What's your point? Someone has to be right, and this is it. Well, what if you were born in a Muslim country? Wouldn't you be a Muslim? No, I'd be a Christian. I would be like those who have converted from Islam to the pains of death, even right now suffering persecution. I would be like those that ISIS had to put on their knees, blindfold them before an ocean, before they beheaded them because they're afraid of their message, and I would be saying the Lord's Prayer like them. That's who I would be. I would be like my Hindu brothers and sisters who come to Christ even though their buildings are being destroyed right now and they're being burned and they're being persecuted. That's who I would be. Why? Because I'm on the side of truth. I just happened to be born in a Christian family in a Christian country that happened to backslide and realize what I needed when I came back. But why did I stay? Why did I get convinced by another religion? Why haven't I deconverted like so many others have? I've seen deconversion testimonies that are sometimes more uh, emotional than Christian testimonies. Person is crying, oh, I'm just so happy to be free now. I can finally be myself. Oh, religion was so mean to me. You know, and I think to myself, you have been deceived by your emotions. Just because you cry and you say you feel better now that you're a sinner going to hell doesn't mean being a sinner is no longer a sinner. Those who have deconverted from Christianity are following their heart, and their heart is deceitful. uh, deceitful. My brothers and sisters, you need an anchor for your heart. You need a guidance for what you believe. You need an idea that goes beyond all other ideas presuppositionally and as an axiom to all other ideas. Jesus Christ said it, I believe it, that settles it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the what? On the rock. That's what I'm building my life on. Now, I want everybody to think about this. How many in this world know that scripture but don't do it? So many. I'm studying cults right now because I'm teaching it in, you know, in, in the college, and I am just amazed at how many come from Christian backgrounds into these cults. As a matter of fact, now when they start off saying, I used to be a Christian, it doesn't even bother me anymore. It used to bother me, but now I'm just like, you're a dime a dozen. All of you all used to be Christians. That's just their testimony. It's the way it is. I'm a Muslim now. I used to be a Christian. I follow Muji, M-O-O-J-I. They sing worship songs of this guru guy. I was once a Christian just like you. Now I worship this guy. I was once a Christian, now I'm a Mormon. I was once, that's what they always say, especially in our culture. Why did, you de- why did you convert? Why were you a deconverted Christian? Because you let your anchor get off of God's word. 
I was talking to someone from the Mother God cult. They believe this woman in Korea is a god. She is Mother God. That's what they call her. Listen to me. Joe Beef hooked this debate up for me. We were doing it online. We'll always be available for you, brothers and sisters, in love and grace. Do we not treat him with kindness? We left in kindness. We came in kindness. But how did the word of God stand against his, his, his beliefs? Obliterated. Within moments, he started off the same way they always start off. I was a Presbyterian. I was brought up a Christian, and these insights have changed my life. Let's go to these scriptures. Let's start here. Show me what you know. Within moments, he couldn't go any further. Then I said, now this is a great opportunity for me to do a Bible study with you. He was quiet. He was humble. I began to do a Bible study with him. After a few minutes of the Bible study, by God's grace, not my wisdom or intellect, okay? But listen, after a few minutes, he said, I never knew these things. I said, brother, these things I just taught you come from the church fathers. The very arguments that I'm using were used back then. Justin Martyr was the one argument that I was using. He didn't believe in the Trinity. He thought the mother was part of the Trinity, all of these things, you know, the biblical way. I said, well, then who's in Genesis 19? The Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord in heaven, right? Remember I told you about that, Genesis 18? The Lord appeared to Abraham on the plains of Amory. Who are these people? Because there's no mother there, right? He said, oh, I've never heard of this before. I said, then you should have thought about that before you left and followed a cult that's going to damn your soul. Brothers and sisters, people do not understand what they're exchanging their anchor for when they leave Christ. That's why when somebody says, no, I believe in science, these two guys, they do a podcast. Jared's kids watch them. They used to be Christians. One's name is like uh, Link from like Legend of Zelda type thing. These two guys, they both deconverted. They were from Baptist backgrounds. Yes, there we go. What are the names? Rhett. Rhett and Link. So I did have Link right. Thank you. And what's the name of their podcast? Great Mythical Morning? Good Mythical Morning. Thank you. And you listen to their deconversion story. You know, hey, this is what I was. This is what I used to do. Now I'm all of this. What I want to do is come on that show and say, let's talk about what you are now. I want to examine your foundation because you thought you found some contradictions in our scripture. You didn't really appreciate now moving to California, wherever they were, uh, you know, the, the stance that now the Bible would have with you uh, taking on homosexuality as a sin. Like they didn't like the position, rather, of what uh, their biblical worldview would place them in. They didn't want to be placed in uncomfortable situations because they believed homosexuality was a sin. These kinds of things were convincing to them. Well, now I want to ask you, sir, I want to ask you, sir, what is your foundation? That's what I want to know now. You gave up this. You replaced this with something else. I want to know what it is. I want to know. I want to talk to young people. I want to, talk to, I want to know your foundation. You think you found something better? Tell me what it is. Most of the time what they say is I don't have one yet. I'm still discovering it. I'm on a spiritual journey. Highway to hell. Yeah, I know what journey you're on. Highway to hell. Yeah, baby. You're on a journey. And it has a destination, yeah, and it's called a highway too, highway to hell. Think of all the excuses people will give. Well, I found contradictions in the Bible. Ask them, what's wrong with the contradiction? Just ask them, what's wrong with the contradiction? Uh, well, it's not logical. We shouldn't have logical contradictions. Why do we have logical contradictions then? Why, why did you just say logic as a law, right, the law of non-contradiction? Why is that a law? Have you ever looked at a brain? Have you seen what brains are made out of? Have you ever seen a scientist play with the brain? That thing made a law? Hello? Are you listening to me? The chemicals in your brain we can put right here in this, in this bottle of water and shake it up a little bit. Does that, that, does that cause a law? How did you understand such a thing as a law of non-contradiction? Because you have a soul inside that brain. 
You are a pianist and your mind, your brain is the piano. You're playing something and using it, but that something is not the very thing that produces what you're experiencing. Your consciousness is not coming from your brain. Your consciousness is using your brain. Are you listening to me? And then you ask him, where do laws come from? This is not just what I say on a preaching Sunday, you know, when everybody looks nice and says amen. This is what John Lennox says. Dr. John Lennox, one of the greatest mathematicians of our time from Oxford University, he says he talks with his friends and they bring up this nonsense because nonsense is nonsense no matter who says it. Smart people can say it and they can beat me on, uh, you, know, you know, intelligent tests and so forth. I'm not trying to say they're not smart. I'm just saying nonsense is nonsense no matter who says it. So he's talking to his colleagues and he says, what do you believe? If you don't believe in this, what do you believe? And they say, I believe only that which science can tell me. And he says, where does science come from? They say, it's what we do as scientists. Where do you get science from as a scientist? Oh, it's from our brain. We do the laws of logic and induction and deduction and so forth and abduction. And he said, where did that come from? And they say, from evolution, from the goo through the zoo to you. And he asked them, did evolution have a design? Did evolution have a purpose to have a mind to be able to discern truth? And they say, no, it was survival of the fittest. It was over uh, survival more than function. It was just surviving. And then John Lennox says right back to them, and you trust it? You trust a brain to figure out things when you just said a brain came from mindless evolution. Now you have a mind. Think about that. You have something that came from something else that did not have it. Your evolution did not have a consciousness. Those amoebas, those cells did not have a consciousness. Now you have a consciousness because most of them will admit they have it. There are some who don't. As I've told you before, Dr. Alex Rosenberg denies the I in the self due to scientism. He doesn't even think you have a self. You don't even exist. You are just chemicals in motion. They are there and they are teaching but these people will go, yeah, I have a consciousness. Now, maybe I don't understand it all fully, and I can't explain it. But you have to then ask them, as John Lennox does, well, then how in the world do you know to trust it? It came from something that was unguided. I know to trust my computer, my car. As I drive here, I have a smart car. stays in a lane. Anybody have those? It stays with adaptive cruise control. Does anybody have a car here? Does anybody have those things here? A few of you? And adaptive cruise control? Am I the only one? Okay, I guess I'm the only one with adaptive cruise control. You guys should try it sometime. It's pretty awesome. You just put it in. This is what I do on the highway. I put it in, 82 miles an hour. I put it in, and then I just get behind the car in the fast lane. I just chill right there behind the car, okay? And then when the car speeds up, I just speed up with it. When the car slows down, I just slow up with it. And then, boop, I push this little button that says stay in the lanes. Anybody ever see the little lane button? Okay? I love you guys. I pray for blessings for cars on y'all. I pray that y'all get cars. And maybe y'all have cars, but you don't like those kind of cars. I don't know, but I just want to make sure we're getting the example because I don't care about my car. I don't worship my car, but my car has those things. Now going back to my example, I trust it. You know why? Because it was made by somebody intelligent. Why would I trust my car if someone said there was no intelligence behind it? If I just took random numbers and settings and put it in there and push go, what do you think would happen? I would be off in a ditch somewhere within moments. I know it sounds similar to the watchmaker argument. You don't, expect a, you don't find a watch and expect it made itself, but this is even more complex than that. What we're saying is information as it is in our universe seems to be abiding by laws that we have discovered with our own mind. Yet if you deny minds were created with a purpose to discover law, you are now left with a bigger question. Why do brains think of laws? Have you seen a brain in a vat before? Have you seen it on the scientist's table? How does that thing come up with laws? It doesn't. Your soul comes up with laws and discovers laws. 
your mind interacts in your brain. And so, brothers and sisters, people say that they have switched. Think about this. Like these guys, Ket, what is his name again? Rhett and Link. Thank you. They think that they have found something to replace the words of Jesus. So they say, I, I found some contradictions in the Bible. What's wrong with contradictions? Second thing, I found some immoral things in the Bible that I don't like. I don't like Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't like the story of the flood. Only eight people survive and the rest, went, you know, died and drowned. Okay, ask him this. What's wrong with killing everybody? What's wrong with killing everybody? Why did you have a problem with that? Does an animal have a problem with it? Hey, dog, come here. Hey, come here. In this book right here, my God destroys the earth. Do you have a problem with that? Why do you have a problem with that when my dog just sniffs its behind and goes back to doing what its dog does? Are you listening? Chasing its head. Why do you have a problem with something you came up with called a moral conundrum or a moral contradiction or a moral conflict? Why do humans have a moral compass to begin with? Well, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. You better figure it out really quick. I'm being honest with you. Jesus spoke these words. You better figure it out really quick. Moral conundrums, moral conflicts come from the image of God inside of us. Why do we have moral problems with the Bible? Because we don't understand how holy God is and it scares the hell out of us. That's it. Once again, it may not be, get me on Dr. Phil or Oprah Winfrey, and it may not get to me to sell a best-selling a best book, but I promise you that is the truth. You don't like it. You heard the story. You understand it clearly. They were wicked upon the earth. God was grieved that he made them. He gave Noah a hundred years to preach to them. They would not listen. He destroyed them. He is God. You are not. Deal with it. The Bible gives us the moral compass for us to be grieved by such a story. You are not to rejoice in such a story. You are not to boast and now make a sign, say God hates you and go po post it all over our city. You are supposed to fear your God and have compassion for your people from that story. It is to break your heart. And then we call God to the witness stand. I want to talk to God. Give me your manager. We're a bunch of Karens when it comes to God. Give me your manager. Is it true that you destroyed the earth because of violence and wickedness? How dare you? How dare you? We pretend as if God is going to continue to appease our conscience, the very thing he gave us, but we broke. When Adam and Eve chose the knowledge of good and evil, aside from the tree of life, they chose to be the arbiter of truth. How well are we doing at arbitrating between good and evil? We are broken, and we cannot heal ourselves. And yet we run around this planet acting as if we can decide good from evil. We do have remnants 
of the thumbprint of God on our conscience, we all agree abusing a child is wrong. We agree that people should have autonomy of free will and slavery is wrong. We agree that the innocent among us, the handicapped, those with special needs should be cared for. We all have this somewhat built into our culture, but without Christ, we cannot explain why it matters so much to us. I've said to my friends, if what you say is true, we came from the goo to the zoo to you, why don't we eat those with Down syndrome? We'll take care of two things at once. We'll get rid of the handicapped and we'll have a, have a plentiful food supply. You see, they have no explanation for why we don't eat ourselves. I remember reading to you guys here, Alex Rosenberg is the one I was mentioning before that denies the self. He said, these are the commandments of atheism. There are none. And he says to the atheist in the Atheist Guide of Reality, his book from Princeton University, I believe is where he works and teaches this nonsense, is that atheists stop acting like we have a moral code. We have none. He calls them out as their preacher. So I hold you to our standard of having a moral code. He's fed up with atheists and unbelievers pretending they still have one. Stop acting like you have a high horse to be on to end slavery. Slavery is neither right nor wrong. It's just chemicals in motion bumping into one another. Is that what you felt when you watched The Color Purple? Is that what you felt when you watched 12 Years a Slave? Just chemicals bumping into one another? Everything inside of me wanted to reach through the screen and grab bubble. When I was like in fifth grade and I watched Color Purple the first time with Kuta Kinte and they're beating him, everything, I just wanted to reach through, grab that guy, and I wanted to punish him. Why do we all have a sense of justice? See, your anchor, my friend, needs to be to Jesus Christ. And every religion will try to get there too. Let, let, me, let me just be very honest with you. Now leaving alone secularism, right? Secularism is on the rise. But now let's just move from that for a few moments. People will come to you from their religious standpoint. Well, hey, you know what? Assalamu alaikum. You know, Jesus Esau was a Razul. He was a messenger, a Nabi. And he gave us truth. He was the Messiah. He was the Messiah for the Jewish people. But Muhammad, peace be upon him, he came. Allah Akbar. And now we have the truth. Inshallah, we will see him. He's the final messenger. He is the last of the messenger. He's the seal of the prophets. This is the Quran. This is how we live. We follow the Hadith, the Sunnah of the Caiaphs, the ones who came after Muhammad. We're waiting for him. And to rise up, some believe like in the Shia Islam, the 12th Imam will come and restore Islam to the world, which it never had the world anyway, but it will come and establish it. What do you say back to the Muslim? Well, that's a nice anchor. I'm glad you're not a secularist. But what else do you say? My friends, you have a false prophet. Your prophet denies. He says in the Quran, we did not kill him, nor did we crucify him, but it appeared only to be so. Those who are in doubt are in conjecture. We say to them, he's the one in conjecture. He is a liar. If you deny the crucifixion of our Jesus Christ, you are a liar. Galatians chapter 1, if anyone comes with a different gospel, even if I or an angel come preaching to you a different gospel, let them be accursed. Please put that up. Galatians chapter 1 verse 9, I believe. Paul warned us that such false prophets would come. What do you do with the next prophet that comes? Joseph Smith, the next world leader that wants to come, maybe possibly the Antichrist. The Bible says that the Antichrist in time's last days, if it was not cut short, so much deception would be prevalent that even the elect, if it were possible, would be deceived. How is deception even rising now? Witchcraft has now Wiccans more members than Presbyterians. 1.4 witches. 
now outnumber one of the largest mainline denominations in Christianity. Wiccans, over a million now, have grown exponentially, doubling, tripling, quadrupling. How in the world do we now have witches as one of the fastest growing religions in our country? Why? Because they're believing falsehoods. What did Paul say? But if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Please go back to Hebrews. Listen to what we're saying here. Jesus, his words, he gives us the rock. Jesus is the anchor. There are no other anchors. There are no other hopes. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Muhammad said, if I am a false prophet, Allah will take me out through my aorta. It was a way of him saying, I will be cut off from my very throat for uttering these things. A Jewish woman poisoned Muhammad in the last of his days. He said, I feel like my aorta is being torn. By his own prophecy, he showed that he was a false prophet. God tore out his aorta through the poison of a woman that he had oppressed. Are you listening to me? That's the second largest religion in the world. And they are competing with Christians in the world stage right now. They are building up Saudi Arabia. They are building up Dubai. They want to be the next London. They want to be the next New York. They want to use the monies that they have to spread their religion all over the world. This is not conspiracy. It is truth. When you see the Islamic centers here, they are tied into a global image of what they believe the world should be. Good Shepherd Assembly of God Church sold their building to a mosque, and now there's a mosque center right there on Narragansett in Belmont. Don't tell me it's not relevant to my preaching today or to our world today, my preaching. I'm just here to scare you. I'm teaching you, my friends. Before I get to make it personal, I want you to understand what is at stake when you switch the anchor of your soul to anything else. There is and are consequences. The people who reject Christ as their anchor, the Bible says some will have their evil exposed before judgment. Others, it will be after judgment. But be sure of this, all of the evil will be exposed. So right now, you may look at those who have deconverted from Christianity, and you may say, well, look at how popular their YouTube channel is. Look at how successful they are, like Oprah Winfrey, since being a conservative Christian. Look at how she has won friends and influenced people. The Bible then warns you to say, her judgment is coming in the world to come. You haven't seen it now. Others of us, we didn't get to live such good lives as backsliders. How many were a broken, busted backslider? That was me. I didn't last very long. Money didn't stay around me very long. I became a drunkard, a drug dealer. I was wicked and evil. I didn't have the ability to make money off it like Travis Scott. Y'all listening? I didn't get to make money off being a backslider like that, like Beyonce, Jay-Z, many of these folks brought up in churches now using their wealth to promote their own worldview. So I thank God that the pig food brought me back like the prodigal son because I didn't get prosperity as a sinner. But the Bible says that those who have it now, We'll have it later. So don't be deceived by temporary success by those who switch an anchor. In other words, don't be deceived by you and I, watch, you and I talking on the beach while the boat is floating away. Let's say you would have been there with me that day, and we were having the time of our life. Maybe we were doing a little exploring. We went away from the boat. In other words, we didn't see it. And let's say an hour goes by, and you and I literally had the best time of our life. Let's say we did. I mean, we, we caught some crabs. We caught some fish. We did whatever we were doing out there, and now we come back. And that boat is gone. Does that diminish that what happened in that time? No. What happened in that time was real. There was things that we did that was funny. But it, it is another true fact that what also happened is we lost the boat. 
I am not denying that these people are successful. I'm not denying that we can't learn from them some of the tricks of the trade and how to do what they're going to do. If I'm going to make a phone, I don't have to start from scratch. I can learn from those who came before me, sinner or saint. As one preacher said, I don't need a Christian cow to give me milk. I'll take it from any of them. Are you listening to me? I'll drink it from anywhere as long as the Bible says it doesn't corrupt my soul, right? But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Is it worth their soul? Is having these temporary successes worth worth the consequences that they're going to have? Because Jesus drew this out, did he not? Jesus drew this out when he said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? There are people today that are gaining the whole world. At least they're trying, and yet what's going to happen? They're going to lose their soul. Please turn with me to Matthew 16, 24. Then I want to make this personal in the last few moments. I want to help you and your problems and your situations to overcome things holding on to the anchor of Jesus. But I just felt inspired today to encourage you with a worldview that is not to be easily shaken. I want us to be like the martyrs of old, not wishing harm upon us, but that we stand strong. In other words, if they take our women, strip them naked, put them in the coliseums, and say, will you worship our God now before we put the lions to you? I want to hear our women sing the songs of Zion and shout from the top of their lungs, I am a Christian. Jesus is Lord. Read the stories of the Christian martyrs. One of the problems the early church had to face is how to deal with suicide among the young virgins. You heard me correctly. Read about it. What was the conundrum? The young virgins knew they would get raped by the pagans before they were put to death, and many of the Christian virgins began to commit suicide. Imagine the pastors coming to these sisters. We do not commit suicide. We have no power to fight back. There was no just war cause at this moment. I pray for your courage in the face of oppression, but we do not end our lives. There will be dignity in the face of your persecution, but you must hold on to life. Because if we all commit suicide, dear sister, there'll be no more mothers of Zion. Imagine having those talks with your pastor. Do I commit suicide before they come get me? And the pastors would have to say to their dear sisters, we do not commit suicide lest we lose all of our sisters. We hold strong. And if they capture you, you live for Jesus until you see him face to face. He will keep you. He will keep you. He will keep you. Are you listening to me, brothers and sisters? They would crucify our leaders. They would set them on fire. When people say to us now, Christians, you have lost. This is no longer your country. You are no longer a majority. We are taking over. I say for such a time as this, I was bred for this. My, my people come from this. This is what I was made for because we weren't always the majority. We didn't always have the Christian artists being interviewed on Jay Leno. We didn't always have Billy Graham's being admired by the people. We came from those who were stripped naked and eaten alive by lions inside of coliseums to the shouts and cheers of pagan Romans. We were made, we were made Roman candles impaled through our private areas, stuck on sticks, put with wax on top of us, and set on fire. These are our brothers and sisters. So now you have control, and now you want to push us into the closet as you have come out of the closet for such a time as this. I will meet you in that coliseum, and I will see you there, either with revival or my life. To God be the glory. We will not back down. We will not step aside. We are Christians, and we are proud to serve Jesus Christ. He is Lord. 
Why did Christians popularize the phrase, Christo es, Christo es curios, is because before every, every meeting that they had, every Colosseum event, before all of the things that they would do in politics, they would hail their allegiance, Caesar is Lord. Christians took the same exact phrase that they put on their coins, that they put over their buildings, that they would swear allegiance to like Nazis to their Caesar. And Christians began to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. When the moment they said that, every Roman heard sedition. These people serve another king. These people have another Lord. These people have another master other than Caesar. Are you listening, brothers and sisters? I don't say this so that we run out and become violent. Those who live by the sword die by the swords. We're not in a just war. We are not fighting with flesh and blood. We are fighting with weapons that are spiritual and powerful to tear down the weapons of the enemy. Are you listening? We are in a culture where we have lost. It is true. Christians lost the culture war. It is over. Accept the defeat, Christian, and now start over again. We cannot rely upon what our founding fathers did. We cannot rely upon what Billy Graham did. Billy Graham is now mocked. Missionaries are mocked. I remember having a discussion with someone from BLM, and we were teaching them, we support the cause of justice, but we do not support all the things BLM does, such as homosexuality, queer living, and all those other lifestyles that they wanted to push into there like a Trojan horse. And I remember our sister was being called a racist. They didn't know who they were talking to. And she says, I have been a missionary to South Africa working in an orphanage for the last 15 years. Do you want to know the next phrase out of that sinner's mouth to this precious missionary? You are a colonizer. That's what they said to a precious missionary giving her life 15 years working with the African people, taking in their family. That is, I'm telling you, what people will do when they no longer value human dignity. They will see you as an other, as a rat. When they saw the Jews going to the, uh, to the Auschwitz and these places, they began to say good riddance with them. They would hand them in. The Germans would hand them in. If their parents, as the Bible says, parent will betray child, child will betray parents. Germany saw that. They, the kids would tell to their, to their teachers, my parents are hiding Jews. The, 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 kid, the parents would tell on their own kids, my kids are a part of a revolution with Christians, and they would tell on each other. The Bible says they hated one another. The Bible says that the enemies became from their own household. Are you listening to me, brothers and sisters? Last thing I want to say about our worldview is that you have to be ready to sacrifice everything because now it will never be convenient. Look at the scripture. Who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But for whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man, listen to this promise, brothers and sisters, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward, amen, each person according to what they have done. Brothers and sisters, it's worth the sacrifice. Now, what do I believe personally? I believe the greatest days for our country and for the church are ahead. I believe that the world has not met true Christians. Many of you came from those worldviews, let's be honest. One of our pastors who's in Dallas was an atheist. He was a God-hater. He mocked the Lord, but we witnessed to him before a youth meeting. He came to church. He got saved. Now he's our pastor with a master's degree working also in the Bible college. 
Many of you came from these backgrounds. Many of you were affirmed in your own LGBT lifestyle and you were accepted by your parents. Now you're a Christian and they deny you. What a, what a world we live in now, right? And some of you have come from God-hating backgrounds yourselves. You were either influenced by the music or by the culture. Or some of you were in new age. You were witches or taking on those things with tarot cards and, and psychic readings. And yet you're here now serving Jesus. Go back to the notes, please, in Hebrews. Do not let go now of your anchor. Christ is all that you need. When you have everything... Thank Christ for giving you all those things. When you have food, like I do right now, I have more than enough. Cars, right, that, that I guess are pretty awesome, okay. Uh, nice house, beautiful wife and kids. When you have everything, thank God for everything that you have. And remember, he's that anchor. And all of your successes, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for every success and good day that you have. But even if you have nothing, or if you suffer loss, or you face persecution, and you see the world's goods and the things you work for slip through your hands. One man was talking about when the Iranian revolution came with the Ayatollahs, that before that his family was wealthy. And within one moment they lost every single thing and they became homeless. Because they were Christians during the time of Iran and, and Muslims wanted them all out. Christians used to be in all of those nations, by the way. Egypt used to be a Christian nation. Iran, these used to be Christian nations. Turkey was a Christian nation. Greece was a Christian nation, right? And so within one day he said everything was lost. Imagine that. Everything in your bank account. You can't withdraw the money. They, they take over the banks. Everything in your house. It's gone, right? On that day, you thank God that he is your everything. So on days where you have everything, you thank God for giving you everything. On the days you have nothing, you think that he's your everything. Amen? And then now these two words, firm and secure. I want to leave you with this as Daryl comes. Firm and secure. I wish I had more time, but I think this will be more than enough. I think you'll be able to apply it to your life. It doesn't take a long time. Good theology, good doctrine will always be applicable to your life. In your times of doubt, you, dear Christian, may feel like your foundation is soft. Understand this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. There are times where you will feel like you cannot hold on to Jesus. Take heart, brother and sister. Jesus will hold on to you. Jesus will hold on to you. One of our dear friends, my wife mentioned her the other day, was a missionary in India, and she was raped. No charges could be pushed because they didn't have any rights to give her. And the man would deny it, and it was her own landlord. And of course, of course we stand for justice. I believe in the death penalty. I even believe in just war. There's a time for war, the Bible says, and a time for peace, right? So just listen, I'm not approving of abuse in any way and saying Christians we should take it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm giving her testimony of what she did after that. Everyone in her mission organization was telling her it's time to come home then. I mean, what would you say to her? I would say that, come home. And she said, no, India needs Jesus. I stay. She stayed. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you stay when the people you're trying to reach have taken what you value? She was a virgin. Be like my daughter. How do you go back out and shake somebody's hand from India and say, Jesus loves you? See, God is firm. God is strong. We teach our children that God is strong. God is big. It's not us. You're, you're not looking inward 
to yourself, Corey Tim Boone, who was with a family that hid the Jews during the time that this was going on, I believe, in the Netherlands. And then, you know, Germany was invading places and her family stood strong and some of them died in the concentration camps because they were captured and, and her sister died. And one of the things her sister said is that there's not a pit so deep that God's love still can't reach down to. That they were seeing the depths of the pits of people's souls being exposed displayed in wickedness. And this dear woman said that the, no matter how deep sin goes, grace abounds even more. But you know what Corley Ten Boone said? Because you know what she became after that? After she got released from the concentration camp, she became a missionary. And, and her favorite places to go were to persecuted peoples because she could relate. She goes, I get it. I've been there. And you know what she said? When I look inward, when I look inward, like the world tries to tell you to do, she said, when I look inward, I get depressed. Man, I'm a mess in here. I got so many thoughts conflicting. And then when I look outward, she said, and I try to find help here from Dr. Phil, from this one. And I know there's good intention people out there, right? But she said, but overall, when I look out there, I get distressed. Look in here, I get depressed. I look out there, I get dis distressed. She said, oh, but when I look to Jesus, my soul finds rest. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus is firm. Jesus makes us firm. Jesus makes us strong. Jesus makes us bold. But it's despite of ourselves, not because of ourselves. That's why Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. I get it now. I've been through all of these things. And, and every time I get broken down, I, I realize that God makes me strong. He's stronger. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. They can't take that from me. He's my strength, my anchor, rooted in the presence of God. Nothing can take it out. Secure. Secure, brother or sister. There are times where you will doubt your own Christianity. You will doubt your own salvation because temptation will seem so much more real. I have felt, even as a pastor, the reality of temptation louder at times than the voice of God. You want this. You want this. And I look at my friends who've had affairs. I look at them who have gone into ditches and I say to myself, I, I can relate. That, that, that must be what they went through. You want this. It feels good. Get it. Take it. Have it. Get as much as you want. Come on, don't you act like you've never been tempted like that before. How y'all doing with your New Year's resolutions? Chocolate cake coming out. You want this. You want this. Yes, I want it. You know what? He always provides a way of escape. You remember with that you remember my way that I always encourage you with, with temptation, especially with sexual, sexual temptation when I speak to the guys, and I say that 
I see the end of it. I see the end of it. God gave that to me when the voices of temptation, my demons, my flesh was so loud. God said, I know you want it. I know your body wants it. I know you feel that this marriage is not enough sexually. You want to be free. But I want you to think about this. Right before you go, think about this. When it's over, what happens? Because the Bible says, see the end from the beginning, the aharit in Hebrew, see the end from the beginning. And so in that moment, I go back to he uh, the Proverbs, and then I see, in the end, in the end, in the end, it's destruction for the man who commits adultery. So I thought to myself this, okay, it happens, it happens. No, I wasn't in a relationship. I'm just saying it was a temptation in my head, right? Otherwise, I would have stepped down as a minister. Thank God, all of these years, nothing against my integrity had me step down. 25 years in the ministry, praise God, right? But, but, here, but here's how it begins. When your brain wants it and you agree with it, then you look for opportunities. Anybody here? Come on, you listening? You don't accidentally fall into sin. You're like a magnet drawn to it if you don't get it out of your heart. Hello? And so in that moment, God says, you did it. You found it. You got the right one. You went to the gym. You went online. You did the thing. You found her. You did it. What do you do now? What do you do now? I mean, life's not a fantasy. Well, what do you do? So God's just talking to me. Well, what do I do? Well, I could live in secret. I hate liars. I, I tell my wife she's going to divorce me. Now my kids don't have a dad in the home. Oh, but I had sex with someone else. How long is that going to wear off? Come on, now I'm living with the boo. Watch this. This is what God said to me. Now you're living with the boo that you cheated on your wife with. But then, hello, you go to the mall and you see another boo. Now you're going to cheat on that one with that one. You'll be a cheater your whole life. You'll be a dirty, rotten scoundrel. Your family won't know or love you or respect you because you won't be in the home. You'll have broken the heart of the one who loved you more than any of these women ever could. And you know what? Your soul will be empty. Come on, brothers and sisters. So what happens in those moments? God gives us security. Beep, boop, beep, boop, boop. I'm thinking like Marvel, where those guys chill. Where's that place with the, the guy with the patch? What is that call? Somebody be a nerd with me right now. Shield, yeah. Remember when Loki tries to steal that thing and he has to come through because it was so locked down and one of their like measures of security is blow this whole thing up and put it 200 feet underground. You remember? Come on. I'm not the only one that watches movies here. Am I young people? Come on. Let's go back to Marvel. When God sees the enemy coming, he puts up security before you even know to ask for it. God sets you up for success before you even know it. Before the virus even starts to come in, God is guarding you. God is sending accountability to you. I remember looking at my friends' lives and any one of them that fell into sin, they had to break through their own security. It would be like in one of those movies, fellas, like taking the thing that's secure, saying, beep, boop, beep, boop, open the door. Here I am. Right? Who would do that? Here, here, you know, unless you're setting them up for a trap, but here I am. 
That's what you have to do to fall as a Christian. Because in Christ you are secure. Even in your worst temptations, even when the ringing of your ears is for the devil and the loud voices and the, and the people around you are drawing you or it looks so desirable, God is right there putting up protections around your marriage. That's why I thank God my wife and I have been married now 17 years. And I wouldn't trade for anything because God has kept us secure. Even when we were at times fighting, even when temptation could have came in, God kept us, God kept us, God kept us. Let the Lord keep you. Let him keep your mind. Give him your mind. Let him put it in security. Beep, boop, boop. <laughs> Will you cooperate with him? Yeah. You cut off things. I don't allow myself to be alone with women to give opportunities for relationships to start that I could even desire. Are you listening? I don't do Facebook things like that. You know, you guard yourself in these ways, but you trust the Holy Spirit that he's got it in, in control. And guess what? He's a man that keeps his word. He made his promise to Abraham. Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. And here we are today from all the nations of the world having Father Abraham as our ancestor. Amen. And he said that what he has given us will be kept until the day that Jesus Christ comes. Are you ready to live for Jesus? Amen. Let's give it up to the Lord. Would you stand up with me, please? Come on. Somebody shout, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come? Let's close in prayer. Father, I ask that if anyone here is not yet firm and secure with you as their anchor, would repent of their sins and be born again right now. In the name of Jesus, would you search your heart? If you're not a Christian or you're a backslider, you once used to be a Christian, would you call out to Jesus and say, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Change my life. I believe you died, buried, were rose again. Right now, right now, pray. The rest of us who are already Christians, search your heart. Do you have the right worldview today? Don't be deceived by secularism. Don't be deceived by switching your foundation for what those guys did on that YouTube show. Don't fall for the false prophets of this nation or other nations around the world. Ask the Lord to guard you. Make you firm and secure right now. Come on, Lord, make me firm and secure in the truth. And then lastly, begin to pray for those you know right now that you can see the truth penetrate their heart, that you can see the truth coming to them. You want to invite them to the secure place that you're in. Pray for them even as right now you're praying for yourself. Father, we pray for this nation. We pray for this city. Just as we started the service, we end the service. We pray, God, that many will leave wherever they are on sand and come to the foundation of the rock of the word. Pray for my neighbors. Pray for my family. Come to the rock, oh, Lord, and use me to be a part of that. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues, you can ask the Lord to fill you right now, to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This will empower you to be a witness. Those of you who have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can begin to pray forth right now the, the things of God that you may not know. The Holy Spirit will pray through you. Before we go, we'll dismiss in just a moment. You can even come now if you want one of these brothers or sisters to pray with you. But right now, those who are spiritual, those who are setting their mind on things above, operate in those spiritual gifts the Lord has given you right now. Activate them in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, I don't hear any prayers from my worship team. Will you all pray before you sing? How about these up at the altars? I don't hear any prayers from y'all. Would you just pray? You don't need to pray just for me. I'm saying just pray. I want this to be a house of prayer before we go, brothers and sisters. It's not a museum. It's not a library. Just let me hear some prayers. Let me hear someone else praying because I don't want to be the only one. Come on, pray. 
Pray, saints. Pray for this nation. Pray for your soul. In the name of Jesus. Jesus. Guard my heart. Guard my mind. I want to finish the race, God. I don't want to lose the race, God. I want to finish this race, Jesus. Hallelujah. You're able, God. Secure us. Be a firm foundation through the storm, through the valley, through every trial. You're able. You're able. You're able. Make us strong, God. Make us brave, O oh Lord. In our weakness, make us strong. Hallelujah. My spirit prays. My spirit prays. Hallelujah. When my mind doesn't understand, my spirit prays. Set up security around me. I pray for every young person. Security to be around you right now in the name of Jesus. You may feel like you're Daniel in Babylon, but God is setting up angels around you. God is going to guard your mind. Babylon, you might be in Babylon, but Babylon's not getting in you. In the name of Jesus, you won't become another statistic. Hallelujah. Come on. Saints of God, a few more moments. We pray because we need them. We pray because we love them. We pray because there's no other option. What else do I have? What else do I have? I'm just made out of dust and motion. I'm just chemicals. I'm just here for a moment and go on the next. What is our other option, friends? Reach out to the God of heaven and earth. Pray for mercy. Pray for his blessing. Pray for his power to come. He loved us enough to animate us, to bring consciousness to us. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. The purpose of God, hallelujah, has no comparison. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm alive for you, Jesus. I'm alive for you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm alive to glorify you to think my thoughts on you, to trust you, to surrender. I was never in control. I wasn't in control when I was the size of a poppy seed, like my new baby. I was never in control then. I'm not in control now. It's all just a myth. It's all an imagination to think I can control this. So I hand over the steering wheel. You're in control, Jesus. My life for your glory. Should I live to see another day? May I wake up praising you from morning to night, glorifying your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll make a trade with you, Jesus. My animated clay for your glory. If you'll take it, then I'll accept it. My animated chemicals and clay for your glory. If you want me, Jesus, have me. My 70 years for your eternal life. If you have them, Jesus, I'll give them to you. Hallelujah. God of heaven and earth. God of heaven and earth. Meet with me. Hallelujah. Have my heart. Oh, the God of the ages. The God of the ages. Oh, would you secure me? 
Would you make my steps firm? Hallelujah. Heaven has an anchor for my soul. Heaven, heaven has an anchor for your soul. My soul anchored in Jesus. My soul anchored in Jesus. Come on, come on, a few more moments. My soul is anchored behind the veil. My anchor is in Jesus. My anchor is in Jesus. Storms may come, storms may go. My anchor is in Jesus. He is the anchor to my soul. Anyone have a soul here today? Let Jesus be your anchor. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, thank you for this wonderful service. We ask you to bless us as we dismiss from this place, but not your presence. Be with us this week in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You want to bless them, saints? I'll bless them with you. Hallelujah. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We're going to keep praying and worshiping. You can stay as long as you want. You are dismissed. We'll see you at evangelism and life groups. Have a great day. Thank you for coming.